Well, hey, Dean Deckers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. But today we're sharing a powerhouse discussion between amazing women entrepreneurs who spoke at a recent event, uh, Dealmaker Live in Dallas here back in June. And so we're going to have fantastic conversations with Savannah Arroyo, Julie Holly, Vina Jetty, and Liz Faircloth. You're not going to want to miss it. If you do want recordings from the event, which was fabulous, if you weren't able to join us, you can head over to dealmakerliveevent.com and grab the recordings there. And I want to give a shout out to Dustin78087, who left us a review on iTunes. Abundance of knowledge from both hosts and guests who provide knowledge in all aspects of this business. If you think multifamily is the vehicle for you to build wealth, this podcast is an absolute must. So here's some introductions here to some of our, our guests. And I'm really excited about this because, you know, there are obviously, there are not that many women in, in the business. And I think the reason for that is that there's just not a lot of role models as there are, are men out there. And so this is why this panel was so freaking awesome because we have such heavy hitter women who are now actually sharing their experiences with, with others. And it's just really, really inspiring. So of the first panelist is Savannah Arroyo. She's a registered nurse in LA, and she's the CEO and founder of Networth Nurse, the premier investment site where nurses learn wealth-building strategies. I had interviewed her a little while back as well, her and her husband, who became financially free several months ago. Julie Holly is a founder of Three Keys Investment. She's passively invested in several hundred doors. She's partnered in 68 units and then has a, a general partnership in about 120 other units. And she's also got a fantastic podcast and platform as well. Vina Jetty, heavy hitter. She has way more units than we do. She's a founding partner of Vive Funds, and it's a unique commercial real estate firm that specializes in curating conservative opportunities for investors. There's Liz Faircloth, co-founded the DeRosa Group with her husband, Matt Faircloth, and they control over $60 million of residential and commercial assets. She's the co-founder of the Real Estate Invest Her community, and it's a platform to power women to live financially free on their own terms. So really pleased to have this, this group of women together here and enjoy the conversation. I really want to ask some questions here, not just about our wins, but what our challenges are, because those are just as important and actually more important. So I'm going to ask a really simple question first. I only have 19 questions for everyone. Now I'm joking. My corny jokes. When did entrepreneurship start for you? And I'll, I'll have you each answer that. So for me, it started after I had my second daughter. I was working full-time as a registered nurse in operations in the healthcare system. And I had always had a dream of advancing in the healthcare system to become a CNO, a chief nursing officer. And, you know, got my master's, was working my way towards that. And then after I had my second daughter and taking that break from maternity leave and being at home with her, my priorities shifted very much so. And I wanted to create a business where I had more time freedom with my family and more flexibility with my schedule. And when I started Googling ways to do this and create passive income and multiple streams of income, real estate popped up time and time again, for obvious reasons. It's one of the best ways out there to grow wealth. And so with that, ran with it. And less than a year and a half later, I was able to quit my full-time job nursing job. I'm still doing it, you know, maybe one one day a week or so, but it's allowed me a lot more time with my family. Awesome. 
Did anybody else have to earn money to go to the movies as a kid or pay your way to summer camp? If you did, raise your hand, please. Okay. Yes, you guys are all entrepreneurial then. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my entrepreneurial journey began very early on in fourth grade. I really wanted to go to summer camp. And even back then, a long time ago, it was like, I think, $328. And my parents said, hey, I'm one of four kids. Like, you're going to pay half of this. And I worked my butt off <laughs> picking weeds and doing all sorts of things. So really entrepreneurship began very early on just by nature of how my parents, you know, ran mm. our household and it was instilled in me. And they gave us a lot of also support in my brother had a cartoon character he created and had screen printed T-shirts and went around. So <laughs> it was very much instilled in us. Um, my dad had a sandwich shop and we're in real estate, you know, my third generation. So it's really been bred within me. And so I want to encourage each of you that when you have kids and my amazing kids are here, you know, right now and you like allow them into this entrepreneurial journey and share it with, you know, share it with them. But it starts really early on and it's morphed over the years. And so I have was a public school teacher and I took that bet on myself when I got a potential pink slip opportunity. I was supposed to be tenured. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, hey, you could get a pink slip. And I thought I had that golden ticket. Like, oh, you know what? You work for the government, you're safe. <laughs> you're totally <laughs> safe because you work for the government. Nobody's going to shut down the government or teachers and schools, right? Well, yeah, actually they can. And I was three people away from being pink slipped. That's when I left and went into residential real estate <laughs> and and have just evolved over the years between residential and thank God I found you know, through podcasts, I found multifamily investing because this is the holy grail and the most extraordinary people. Awesome. Thank you. How about you, Bina? Yeah. So similar to Julie, I started really young and I think it was, I was born with it in my blood. And so when I was like five years old, someone gifted me a gumball machine and this was my first business. Someone gifted me a gumball machine and my mom was my first investor. I convinced her to buy me gumballs for the gumball machine. And it was one of those ones you put like a penny in it and you turn it, it gives you a gumball. And I would go to, you know, anybody who walked through the door, neighbors, friends, say, hey, do you want a gumball? They would say, yes. I'd be like, great. It's going to cost you 10 cents. I take the 10 cents, I put it in my pocket, I pull out a penny from my other pocket, give it to them <laughs> to put into the gumball machine. And I got to keep the 10 cents and the penny and I did not pay that investor back at all. I kept all the gumballs, never paid my mom back, but that was my first business venture really. And I, like Julie said, it starts really young and I have twin, almost three-year-old daughters and I try to instill in them business values you know, right now I ask them, okay, you want to buy this? Do you have any money? And one of my daughters lovingly the other day said, yes, I do. I said, oh, great. Where did you get the money from? Did you work really hard to get money? And she goes, I stole it from the bank. <laughs> I was like, oh, we don't steal. <laughs> we don't steal from banks. So, you know, it starts young though. And these conversations around money start young for us in our house, just like my parents did with us. Great. So let's talk about the challenges because those are always helpful to not helpful, sometimes it's hard to relive them, but helpful to, to explore because we learn a lot and it helps cut down your learning curve, right? That's why we come to conferences. So if you wouldn't, you can start, Vina. What has been the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur? 
all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Pick the biggest one um, and the biggest learning you got from it. Yeah. So I think for me, right, as an entrepreneur, it's been really tough to give up control. Uh, I was actually just talking to Jonathan about this out in the hallway. I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to everything in my business. And so as you scale and as you grow, so our portfolio, as of the end of this month, it'll have transacted over $800 million in assets. And you cannot get to that scale without trusting other people and bringing on other team members and other people to fill in those gaps. So in Liz's presentation earlier, she said, do the things you're really, really, really great at and leave everything else to someone else. And so I think actually implementing that, knowing you need to do it is one thing, but implementing it is another thing. And as I've been able to transition roles and responsibilities to other people and empower them and trust them to make those decisions, it's gotten better for me and it's given me the ability to scale and really focus on the strategy side, which is important when you're trying to build a business. Yeah. That's a great one. You know, I was a dabbler. They will hold you back. And so my commitment level was I was interested. And Michael was talking about that this morning. I had a lot of interests and I didn't zero in on any specific interest. And it cost me a lot of time. I didn't trust other people. I thought I had to do it all myself. And just by nature of not believing in myself. And so... If you're a fellow dabbler out there, then I'd encourage you. One of the things that helped me out was I just learned like, okay, zero in, find clarity, take time. It's okay to step away to gain that clarity and to say, who am I and what do I actually believe in? Like, And then that was more about personal development than anything, because especially when, you know, depending on what your family dynamics are, I had a great family, but I was the little kid sister. (laughs) I have three older brothers. And just like rewiring some of my thinking and saying, you know what, anything is possible. You can do it. And to chase that passion and that fire that's within you, just like Liz was talking about, you know, like what is that core within you? And, And so really, I would say over the last three years, everything has ignited. It's been a slow path to get there. But the more I have focused on, you know, just being clear and then pursuing more of what makes me happy and fulfilled, it just snowballs after that. And so I want to encourage you, like you're you're not alone if you're on the fence, but the moment you actually make a commitment, that's when everything shifts like everything. And I've watched it with other people. Like you make that commitment, your life will change. And I mean, Hey, we can, we commit to a lot of different things wholeheartedly, except most often we're not committing to ourselves and it's a scary commitment to make and to believe. So I had to learn to believe in myself and overcome a lot of thinking that was clouding me. And the more you, you know, rid yourself of that stinky thinking, you can really gain traction. Great. I would say my biggest thing was the work-life balance, especially as I transitioned out of my full-time job. Before, when I was working full-time, I'd be working full-time at the hospital, come home from work, do dinner, bath time, bedtime with my kids. And then from eight o'clock till midnight, every night, my husband and I were working on this business, working on real estate. And so when I 
actually got to leave my full-time job and do real estate full-time, I was still working all day, doing dinner, bath time, bedtime with my kids and working every night from eight to 12. And my husband's like, isn't this why you quit your job so you don't have to do this? Mm. And it was a huge shift of like, okay, the reason I am investing in real estate is to have this time freedom. And it's a constant reminder to me because as an entrepreneur, you want to do all the things all the time. And the to-do list is never ending. And so for me, it's intentionally shutting it off to have that balance. That's a great point. I actually, love, I'd love to go there. I think one of the things when we started, when we started to our, our community wasn't just about investing, women investing, but it's about how do you do it in a balanced way? Because we wear a lot of hats. Everyone wears a lot of hats and no one gets into this so they can work a million hours. So Let's talk about the, the balancing act, because there's no such thing as an exact balance. You're, if, if I'm here right now, literally right now, my daughter has her orientation kindergarten. Tonight, my son has his first dance. Firsts, both of them, on the same day while I'm here. So, you know, you make choices. So I'm not balanced right now. I'm not being in a, being a mom mode. I'm, I'm being here with, with all of you. So how do we do that in a way that works for our lives? Because it's hard. I mean, it's hard even just quite honestly for me today, to be perfectly frank. So how do you do it? How do each of you do it? Or what have you navigated in your own lives to that you've created this, we can balance, but how do we do it in a peaceful way, right? That's, it's hard for a lot of people. And it's hard for me. So not that we all do it all the time, but when it does work for you, what is the recipe that has worked for you? How about you start, Julie? That's a great question. So my husband and I are both, you know, full-time real estate. And so it creates the interesting, you have this time that is available. And I happen to absolutely love what I do. I love networking and getting to know everybody. And I love being in the space, the capacity to serve my investors well. And so it does create some interesting lines because this is my career. It's my hobby. It's yeah. also my life mission to serve investors and to support them in their, you know, financial, you know, growing their portfolios. So when you look at what you're doing, it, when you transition from that W-2 type space into, well, now I get to build into legacy space, the lines I think become quite different. And so I did look for harmony versus balance. And my husband actually was also pointing out, and I think it was one day, it's really insightful is that if we were walking a balance beam, your arms are out and you're kind of going back and forth a little bit. And a lot of times when we say balance, we think that we have to just be like perfectly like we're walking, you know, and it's yeah. a perfect straight line. And actually balance looks like this. It looks like, okay, well, right now, I'm here and my kids are having these firsts, but I'm going to be dipping back over there. And, and so really honoring that, but I have become better. I can't see my family in the back of the room, but I think I'm becoming better at shutting down at nighttime <laughs> and not working at night. But again, it's a challenge for me because I love what I do. Yeah. What about you, Vina? Yeah, I'm still looking for the balance. Um, I think this is something that is like very, very, very challenging. Similar to you, like my kids were supposed to start their first day of preschool today and I'm here and I was thinking about the logistics. You know, we're in Frisco, so we're like 40 minutes north of here. And I was like, if I get up at five, I can get there, I can get them off and then I can come directly from school to here. But 
really as women, especially in this field, we are constantly making choices. And let's be honest, mom guilt is real. There is never a moment where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going off to this amazing conference where I know it's going to do wonderful things for my job, my career, my family, for my kids' legacy. But it's totally fine because they'll be fine without me. No, that mom guilt is always there. I have a whole entire village around me who holds my entire world up. We hire out a lot of help so that when I do have free time, I can spend it playing with my kids. Like I don't do dishes in my house. I hate it. I hate domestic work. I am not a domestic laborer. And I hire out really great help to take care of that so that I don't have to do dishes when I have a free 20 minutes. I can spend that time playing with my kids and cuddling with them and watching these awful cocoa melon videos that I don't know who I don't invented know what that those. Is. <laughs> it, this is like the part of my life I'm in right now where I'm like cursing cocoa melon every two seconds. We have a lot of help. And I will say too, and there's a lot of men in this room, and I will say that nothing that I do is possible without the help and support of a partner who is involved. And he has a very demanding job. He works as well. And when he comes home, he is present. He has started taking a lot of the emotional labor that I've done for years and years and years off of my plate. And what that means is he will see, hey, the kids are starting school. We need to go get backpacks, get them into the car Mm. and go get them backpacks without me having to ask for it or having to think about it. So he started being more mindful and conscious of how he can take some of that emotional burden or that mental burden off of my plate. So if you are a man in this room, this is something you can do to support the women in your life because we all do it. We all know exactly what we're talking about. So I just say like, pay attention to that so that you can, you guys can be more successful together. You know, my husband wants me to be happy. And when he figured out that this is something that really makes me happy, it really has shifted that dynamic in our household. Yeah, definitely what these other ladies have mentioned, the support system is really everything. And even when we started investing in real estate, my husband and I sat down and got very specific of like, okay, what kind of life do we want to live in three years? What does that look like? Like, where are we waking up? What are we doing on a day-to-day? And our why is so strong that it as the balance and the justification for coming over here. I mean, Liz and I, when we were checking in, we're both talking about how we were crying, leaving our kids at home because of this stuff. But it's like, we're so passionate about, you know, me, I'm so passionate about helping healthcare professionals start investing in real estate. And so being here is a priority for me. And that in a way being here does take care of the family life. It is that balance. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year, and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you. And set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. I don't know about any of you in in the room, but as you embark on entrepreneurship, your time, just whatever role you have in your family, whether you're single, whether you're not a partner, you need help at home on some level, whether it's the grass, whether it's, you know, even just Instacart, right? Ordering your groceries. I mean, that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I was someone just to share this. And I want to hear each of your perspectives because you need to start to say, what is my core genius? 
and say, how do I at home start to get some support? And then again, that could be literally ordering meals so you don't have to cook every meal. For me, it was cutting grass. I've always liked cutting grass initially. And we moved and we had more grass to cut. So every Saturday, it'd be me and all like the guys on the block. We'd wave, we'd talk about our grass, our lawnmowers, very weird. But people who <laughs> cut grass talk about, oh, what do you have? I'm like, mine's not as good. I don't know, something weird. I saw my dad I, I, cutting grass and I cut grass with him. And I, was, I have no idea what that's about. But anyway, I'm like, my husband's like, and I, one day I was like sweating really badly, pushing the lawnmower. And I was like complaining about some things going on in the business. He's like, what are you doing, Liz? Like, we can, let's look into this. I'm like, it's expensive. That's my answer to everything. It's expensive. So I looked in and it was like, this guy charged me 25 bucks every week to cut my grass. I had to let go of the grass cutting that I kind of like slightly liked, but mostly just got overwhelmed with and I didn't do anymore. But that really launched into what else can I let go of? So look at your life right now. If you really want to move from that dabbler to a business builder, what in your life, write it down. Are you doing that you need to stop doing? I just had to say that because I had to let go of the grass, even though I like my grass. I used to wave to the guys. Can I support you on that? And just if you haven't read Who Not How by Dan Sullivan, it will really help your mind, like wrap your mind around this very concept. And it it will also liberate you on, but I don't want to pay for that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's like he will change your mindset on how you're thinking about money and hiring that support, your who's. And then then you get a taste of it. And you're like, oh, what else can I outsource? You know? I got a cleaner. I'm like, what does that cost? And then it's just launched. And so I want to go into another important conversation that you brought up, Vina, and I think is something that does not get spoken about enough that I think would be a value is, is really enrolling the people in your life when you want to be an entrepreneur. It's not like this thing that you just watch on TV and you're just like, you know, just successful overnight. It, it just doesn't work that way. I cleaned our units. I'm sure all of you have done this stuff, like where you just go hands on and you're like, I got to let this thing go. But you have to enroll the people in your life, whether that's a partner, whether that's a family member, you have to enroll people because it is not a solo business. And those conversations are hard, especially if someone's like, what are you doing? And you're like, I want to do this. How many people could relate to that a little bit here? And, and, and so how have you all been able to navigate those conversations with partners, close family to A, get help, but more importantly, to get the support, even just creating a new business would take me away. And, and I needed to enroll my husband. And he's so passionate and supportive, but still, it was a conversation. It was, it's been, you know, we've had disconnects. Not everything's always roses and sunshine. So how have you each been able to navigate getting on the same page with a partner, especially when one wants to do this and the other one just wants to support because you need it? So how have those conversations happened for you, if you want to share? For us, it's always coming back to the why of like everything that we're doing is to support the future that we want to live, you know, being able to prioritize, okay, we need to sit down a night and instead of watching, binging something on Netflix, we're going to be grinding out and underwriting numbers because buying another apartment complex will get us that much closer to living this life that we want to live full of freedom and flexibility. So that's huge. And enlisting help, I mean, hiring, I hate cooking, you know, and so Luckily, my husband and I live in LA. And so, I mean, even eating vegan and plant-based, you can order out. We order out so much. And at first, coming from a home where my mom cooked and had dinner on the table every single night, it seems almost like a failure or like embarrassing to admit, like, I don't like cooking. I order out for all my food, but that's what we do. And it saves us so much time on cooking and dishes and hiring a house cleaner as well. And like my favorite day of the month is the day my house cleaner (laughs) comes, right? And so... 
not having to clean bathrooms allows me to focus and spend time with my kids and work on my business. So enlisting help in all areas of life is huge. I mean, even flying out to this conference, we don't really have support in LA for taking care of our daughters. I had to fly my mom out to be there. And, you know, she's on board with it because she sees what we're doing and how we're growing our business and what what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's great. What you do? You know, that's that's a painful question, right? Because honestly, I think it's easier to find people and enroll people. It's vetting the people and making sure they're the best people. And I'm going to take this a different direction and say, sometimes you might need to disenroll some people. And that's a very, not very often spoken about, uncomfortable way. And so I know these ladies are going to take it that direction. To answer the question specifically before I go there is my husband and I are very, we communicate. (laughs) I'm an over communicator. (laughs) And so, and I'm clear about where I want to go. I'm clear about what I'm building. And so it's, I can share that vision very intentionally and intentionally say, you know, can you, will you? And that's my, that's my primary support right there. Number one, but there were some people in my life that it feels horrible. And so I'm going to share this because I think that this will resonate with a lot of people and that there are some people that in our lives that will hold us back, that will make us feel bad bad about what we're pursuing. They'll make us feel that there's something wrong with us because we want to be successful. And that was something I really had to wrestle with more than finding the who's that I needed in my life. And so Brendan Burchard, in his book, The Charge, has an entire section on connection, an entire section on those type of relationships and just identifying what are the roles of these people in my life. And that allowed me to be able to not feel, I I would feel guilty about the people that maybe I was not being intentional about that I felt I should be intentional about. And that might even go to a family level. Actually, for me, it does go to a family level. So that's very personal. Now I'm going to get all teary-eyed. <laughs> so it's like being really clear about who you are surrounding yourself with. Because if you are building something that is going to outlast you, you have to have the right people around you. And my vision is huge. I want everyone to experience financial freedom who wants it. Like I'm not into retiring. And every <laughs> investor is going to who wants to learn how to do this is going to learn how to do this. And that's a really exciting opportunity, but it also means that I don't have the capacity to have people around me that are going to suck my energy from me and demand things unnecessarily. And so in my home, we even have like, that's a D for drama. We're not doing drama, you know, yeah. like that's rated D. I don't watch movies even that have D, you know, I, it's my own rating. That's a D for drama. We're not watching it, you know, like just being really intentional about the things that are surrounding you in every facet of your life. So yeah. there's onboarding people and offloading sometimes. Like so my husband knows who he married. <laughs> he he probably knew who I was before I did, if I'm being totally honest. So I think that just compatibility is kind of a crapshoot sometimes. And I think it just worked out for me in that way. But I will say that really, like you said, it's communication, right? And it's communicating 
what you need, what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do something. And I'll say I am not the best at communicating what I actually want him to do. A lot of times I just like want him to read my mind and know that this thing needs to be done and that I want it done the way I want it done. So don't do it your way. Do it my way just by guessing. And that's not really an effective communication strategy. So I have been trying to be better about communicating exactly what it is that I need or want to my husband so that he can help and support in the way that he wants to, but just doesn't know how to. And I think that can be a challenge sometimes, especially for those of us that are entrepreneurs. We get busy and sometimes it's easier for me to do it myself than to explain to somebody else that it has to be done and how to do it. And I think really knowing that if you take the time to communicate this clearly, it's a problem that goes away for the long term. It's not a short-term fix. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing too is my husband and I share a lot of the same goals for not just ourselves and our future, but for our kids too. You know, we're financially independent. I do this because I want to leave a legacy for my daughters. I don't want my daughters growing up where they think they have to choose between having a family or having a successful career. I want them to know that they can do both. And I think that that's important for my husband too. Those values, those goals are important. And so when we keep that kind of at the forefront of our mind, it's easier for us to make decisions and make the sacrifices we need to. And, you know, for me, I feel less guilty about missing something when my husband can be there for it. And he now works part-time. I've told him he can be a full-time dad if that's what he wants to do, but he wants to continue working. But it's right now we have the ability and the luxury of being able to choose what we do when we do it. And I think being able to choose that not working because you have to makes a really big difference to how we plan our lives and how we move through our lives. Love that. I want to ask about skills because often people think I'm either an entrepreneur or I'm not. I'm either I'm born that way or not. And I think there's a part of that, there's some truth. We were all sharing a little bit about our youth and things that we did. But there's, there's skills that I've learned along the way as an entrepreneur that honestly, I didn't have. And I wish someone had told me, this is an important skill. And I've learned those skills over the years. So, so my next question is, what skill as an entrepreneur have you learned that has surprised you that you needed to have that skill? So I'll start you, Savannah. Definitely organization. And I've seen this really in doing these large real estate transactions with financing and asset management. You're going to be asked to find paperwork and numbers, and you need to be very organized from the very beginning of like being able to provide that information very quickly and accessibly. And that's something where things, when you get into the space, you don't really know what documents are important or what things people are going to ask, and you don't really have a good system for organizing it. And so after kind of doing our first couple deals, we've realized, okay, from the very beginning, we're organizing things in different folders and doing things like that so that when people are asking for things, we have it very readily available. Yeah. How about you, Julie? Collaboration. Oddly enough, there's a different level of collaboration. I was a public school teacher. I thought I knew how to collaborate and and such. And yet when you, you know, a lot of you have jobs, you know, in the business sector. And I mean, I didn't have to give PowerPoint presentations to second graders. <laughs> so I had to learn how to communicate virtually and online in an effective way. And, and it shows, <laughs> it shows. But the cool thing about this is that skills can be learned. If you're committed, you can learn anything and you can actually enjoy and have fun doing it. For me, I think it's been saying no 
when you first start out in business, you know, you're so desperate to get that deal, to get that investor, to get all of these things to line up perfectly that you're oftentimes willing to bend backward and go out of your way to do certain things that you wouldn't necessarily want to spend your time doing, right? You're going to take that phone call on Christmas Day because it's the only time that investor can talk to you. I don't really want to be doing that, right? So... I think it's learning how to say no. And this interesting shift happens when you start to scale up. You start getting to a point where you start to gain more leverage because you have experience. You have the deal. You have the thing that your investors want. You have the thing that your buyers want. You have the thing that sellers want to work with you to have, right? And so as time goes on, you get more confident and you have the ability to say no more often. But saying no is a very powerful tool, number one. But it's also something that can be intimidating out of the gate to be able to say no to somebody. So I was not very good at it. I'm getting better at it. I'm still not great at it. You know, Another thing that I've had to say no to that I didn't initially was going into different sectors, right? Like everything looks glittery and gold and everybody makes money in notes and short-term rentals and fix and flips and multifamily and new dev. And so there's all these different areas where all these investors make money. And at first I wanted to say yes to everything because I was like, oh, this is so exciting. This person's so great at that. I definitely want to partner with them. But now I say no to everything and anything unless it fits this like very small buy box that I have. They're like, oh, but it's 1970. I mean, no, we don't do anything 1970s or older. It's out of our it's out of our wheelhouse. So I think saying but saying no and how to say no and when to say no and having the confidence and ability to do that has been a big challenge for me that is a skill that has taken a lot of effort and dedication to learn. Yeah. And it's a continuous process, right? Boundaries, something I need to keep learning. Um, so we're, we have a few more minutes. So I have a question. Last question is, what advice would you give yourself when you started as an entrepreneur? What would you say to yourself? It was like literally you had one sentence to give yourself when you started. What was the most amazing advice you would give her when you started? So I'll start with you, Julie. Believe in yourself. Most of us are not taught to believe in ourselves. And I thought that was a really hokey thing. And I didn't realize the capacity that I had to carry forth a vision. And if I could go back to myself, I'd say, girl, you've got this and you can do this. So don't give up and don't quit. And to take that another direction, oftentimes... I work with an amazing high-performance coach, and through that process, I constantly look to my future self. So I'm asking myself this question all the time is, what's future Julie think of this? Let me look back. Let me travel in time, and let me look back on this right now. And would I quit? Is that what I'd really want to do? What does she want? And so it's great to ask that. What would I tell myself in the past, and what would my future self say about right now? Mm. Or to Vina. Oh, gosh. It's so hard to sum up what I would tell my younger self into one sentence and brevity is not my strong suit. So (laughs) I would say that one question that's really guided me from the beginning to even now, and I still find it very powerful, is what happens if I don't, right? What happens if I don't do what I need to do or I'm going to do or I want to do? And that has really helped me with being able to prioritize what is important, what has to be done, what things are negotiable or non-negotiable. So I think asking yourself, 
what happens if I don't? And the second thing I also, I'm going to give you two. (laughs) The second thing is also, I always kind of lived by this phrase, like go big or go bigger. That's just, I think the way things should be done. That's who I am as a person. I am very extra. I've been told many times in my life, I try to live up to that. So I think that you should always ask yourself, what happens if you don't do it? And how can you go bigger? How can you keep going bigger than where you are today? If you have one unit today, how can you get to 10? If you have 10, how can you get to 100? How can you get to 1,000? Always be looking to that next goal. For me, it would be to not care what other people think. I think especially as I came into this space and then like Michael was saying, moving to that step of thought leadership platform, raising capital, having a brand, going out there and talking about what I'm doing. It was very challenging. It was very out of my comfort zone and difficult. And I realized a lot of the difficulty came from constantly thinking about what other people would think about me or what I would say. And I really just tried to instill more confidence, like exactly like Julie's saying, you know, believe in yourself, but turn the noise down of, of constantly thinking about what other people would think and just go out there and be you and do it in the most genuine way possible. So for me, even when I started capital raising, I'm like, oh, sales, that's not me. You know, I was always going to be a nurse and that was my dream in life. And so to think about capital raising just seemed so, it wasn't a fit. And so for me to go and do it as the net worth nurse, it's me going out there and doing it in the most genuine way possible. Yeah. And as we, as we wrap up here, I know we're out of time. Mine would be to surrender and not to control every situation. I mean, that's something I struggle with every day, to be honest. But I think when, as entrepreneurs, we just we have a goal. We want to achieve it. We want to make it happen. And there's such a, a peacefulness if you surrender to the lesson or to the fail or to the this is not working the way you want to. What's the lesson in this? And just being a little more graceful would have been what I would tell myself. So a big thank you to Savannah, Julie, Vina, and Liz for sharing their wisdom at DML 2020. Hope you enjoyed that. You know, this year's theme at DML was mentoring. Even our our keynote, Damon John, talked about the importance of mentorship in his life. And if you're looking for fast track to buying your first apartment building, you want to scale faster, avoid some of the bigger mistakes, then consider our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And there you can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. Really excited about that. We've helped Several hundred students acquired their first deal and quit their job. So really excited about our program there. Check it out, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Hope you guys were inspired by today's episode. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.